got the latest examples of guidance outweighing results. Motley Fool Money starts now. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today, Motley Fool Senior Analyst Bill Barker. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. We're going to talk about two stocks that I own, and my heavy size should indicate how those stocks are doing today. We're going to start with PayPal. First quarter profits came in higher than expected, and absolutely nobody cares because guidance for the current quarter was apparently not what Wall Street wanted to hear. And shares of PayPal are not only down around 12%, they are within pennies of a five year low. Yeah, well, it's a growth stock. Uh, it's uh, one that's visited a lot of interesting places on the chart, and uh, I guess uh, as a shareholder, the uh, level of interestingness of today's visited place is uh, not the one you wanted to visit. Uh, yeah, sorry about that. That's okay. I'm I am wondering, however, if you think this move is warranted, if you think this this sell off is warranted, I will just point to one part of the business, which is the question of who the CEO is. Because Dan Shulman, the CEO, announced in early February that he was going to step down. They were going to have a new CEO in place by the end of the year. And he said on the call, the board has formed a subcommittee and we're working with a leading search firm. Which I don't know. Since they announced this in early February, I would assume that by late February they were already doing both of those things. Like this, this is one part of the. Put aside the numbers. Put aside what's happening with the gross margins and everything else. Maybe speed up the CEO search. Well, it takes a while to find top men uh, to to put on that kind of search, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, obviously you want you know as uh, as. As we all over as we all times. learned in Indiana Jones, you always want top men involved. But seriously, this is—you uh, don't want to rush the CEO search. But I mean, give me something other than a boilerplate statement of a process that really should have started three months ago. Sure, but I mean, it's—they've got till the end of the year. There's there's seven eight more months. Uh, that's a deadline that's far enough out in the future that you would like to think that uh, if it's a, an attractive business, which you've found it to be over the years, uh, that they'll find attractive candidates. And it is also one which faces uh, some challenges, not insurmountable challenges, but the growth equation here, as we've uh, touched upon the disappointing uh, reaction from the market today, is a function of uh, this quarter's uh, revenues expected to grow basically seven, seven and a half percent, which is a little bit higher than inflation, and therefore it is hard to just have sort of growth stock, capital G, capital S as the title for this. And I think that it's traveled in that realm since the beginning of, of its time and is used to sort of a 30, 40 kind of PE that you would associate uh, with a, a growth stock. And now it seems to be growing, oh, about as much as uh, the economy. Keeping in mind sort of the, the shifting of expectations for investors, because it sounds like what you're saying is like, hey, this isn't the growth stock it used to be. And it's not to say that there isn't a business here, it's that you can't buy the stock 
at a, close to a five-year low with the expectation that it's going to be a growth stock. You need to adjust your expectations accordingly. Maybe. I mean, there are stocks that uh, are neither growth nor value, and then then who's buying them? Because a lot of investors sort of associate themselves with one or the other. It's certainly not trading at a value uh, investor's kind of uh, multiple yet. Uh, it is sub-20, I guess, for the guidance for the, the full year. Uh, so, if, if you take the you know non-GAAP adjusted earnings, it's trading a little uh, lower than that, but it's not going to in you know it's not going to look interesting yet to a, a true value investor. It's not going to look interesting right this second to a growth investor, and it's got more competition all the time. Uh, so it ends up uh, today being sort of stuck in the middle. It's trading about a market multiple, a little little bit higher than a market multiple. It is growing a little bit faster than a, the, a standard company at the moment. Yeah, it, it really seems you, you you take all that into account. You layer in the lack of a CEO or a, the lack of a long-term CEO, and it seems like one that, if this is a stock on your watch list, probably just leave it there for the time being, at least until they uh, roll out whoever the new CEO is going to be, presumably in the second half of this year. Uh, yeah, but that's I think. What, how you might approach it if you're just looking to be on the sidelines. It is buying back some of its stock. That's one of the things that it promotes in this quarterly report. It's expected to reach $4 billion in share repurchases this year. I don't know, what is it, $75 billion market cap, something like that. So, you know, that's. More than four percent, five six percent of the total shares that it's buying back. So it's expressing confidence in the long term health of the business. I think that uh, there is reason to continue to be enthusiastic about uh, you know this business uh, moving beyond cash. Uh, although cash is making a little bit of a comeback. Yeah, in the yeah in the war on cash. Cash, cash seemed, is hanging in. It seemed like cash was out of it. Cash was on the ropes. Yeah, you find yourself using cash any more these days than previously? I, I keep cash on me. I don't. I didn't. But now, with the option of paying for cash and not facing the terrifying moment when you're when when the iPad is turned around and you're you've got the suggested twenty eight percent tip. Right. <laughs> Uh, would you like to twenty eight percent, or perhaps would you feel generous today and and go beyond that, or you could get, pay cash for something like? Would you hand me that thing and and you hand them cash and then you take some of that uh, equation away? Yeah, the the journal had a story earlier this week about sort of the uh, uh, the rise of digital tipping, or at least the rise of digital tipping opportunities being presented to consumers, including in places where previously tipping wasn't really factored in. Well, and I had not realized that there was occasionally the opportunity to tip for self-service. Yes. <laughs> which which can you can you do that and then get the tip? I mean that, that that's a killer app. That really would be. Yeah. Yeah, like a like a self-rewards program. Right. I I got this thing. I brought it here. I've scanned it. Now I would like 20% from somebody other than myself. Let's start with 5%. We'll we'll, we'll work our way up. We're going to move on to Under Armour. Similar story. Fourth quarter profits and revenue were higher than expected, but as is the case with PayPal, guidance has shares of Under Armour down around 5%. It, 
in the case of this business, it is full-year guidance. Um, CEO Stephanie Lenartz says that Under Armour is planning to grow their women's apparel business. That's an opportunity if they can pull it off. But recent history, and by recent history, I would I would basically say the past eight years or so would indicate that it's an open question as to whether or not Under Armour can pull this off. Uh, yeah, did she introduce that with "Stop me if you've heard this one before"? <laughs> no, but she no, could, she could have. She could have. She could have. I don't know. I, Under Armour doesn't have a successful record in trying to be all things to all people. Does it? You know, it had a successful record as being some performance gear thing, really aimed at men much more than women. That was a big hole. The fashion part was a big hole. They've attempted in the last few years to fill those holes, and they've they've the attempts have been poor so far. And this is a company which I would say specializes in poor capital allocation decisions. It's raised another one in its press release today. Saying that it has completed its share repurchase, and I think it's bought 35 million shares in the last year for 425 million dollars. Do a little quick calculation on that. That's 12 bucks per share that they've bought back. That's a lot of capital. Stocks at whatever it is, seven, eight, eight today. It's bought back a lot of shares at 50 percent more than the market values them today. So that's yet another. Poor capital allocation decision by the company. It really does seem like, and and you could have made the case for what I'm about to say at any point over the last few years, but it, it really seems like as a business now, Under Armour is probably a, a more attractive target for activist investors than it has been in the past. Um, this is a three and a half billion dollar company. It is. Uh, they do have. Some level of brand equity. They do, as I've said many times before, they they have nailed one of, if not the toughest parts of this business, which is they make good stuff. Their products are good. So there's an opportunity there. But with the stock, as you said, around seven, eight dollars a share, I'm not going to be surprised if at some point in 2023. The story of the day is uh, such and such activist investor has taken a six percent stake in this business. Yeah, I wonder if they'd be better off uh, under a larger umbrella where they could just concentrate on being one thing rather than trying to be for all ages and all performance levels and whether you're really wearing the brand to have a look or to uh, perform. And I can remember back in the day, Decade ago, or something, when when I was on here, and we were just uh, some of us were aware this was the uniform for boys in school. Yes, like you were like of a certain age, uh, 10, 11, 12, whatever it was. That's what your kid was wearing to school, and all of his friends, if you saw them at, at your house, they were all wearing Under Armour. And I, I, they've grown up. I don't see. <laughs> they've grown up. They're no longer in school. They're buying this stuff for themselves, and apparently, they're buying less of it. <laughs> really, they're buying it for themselves. I got to find different kids uh, <laughs> if that's if, they, if that's a thing that can happen. Yeah, it's it's not the uniform 
for all ages. Maybe maybe the 11 and 12 year olds are still going into school every day in Under Armour every day. I don't know, but they're not growing sales at at a rate that would indicate that uh, they've held on to all of their past uh, segments of the market. It seems like um, this is a particularly critical year for this business because. You know, to Lenartz's comments, if they're not able to get any sort of meaningful traction um, in terms of female customers, if they're not able to do a better job with capital allocation, then I think it makes it all the more likely that uh, the board starts uh, thinking in terms of either. we're going to allow an activist to come in here and try and shake things up, or we're going to explore strategic alternatives. Yeah, you'd like to see that as a shareholder. Uh, I don't know where the power on the board lies these days. Uh, Kevin Plank doesn't have the traction that he used to have, uh, but he's still still there, right? Still executive chairman. Yep. And uh, you know, you just hope they stay out of legal trouble for a couple of years. Wouldn't that be nice? That would be nice. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure the shareholders and the board would all like that. But that's been mm-hmm. part of the story here. Is a lot of. Uh, you know, a lot of lawsuits, uh, SEC actions on on the accounting, uh, which was part of the story a couple of years ago. The UCLA uh, business, where they had to pay fifty, sixty million to UCLA. Uh, yeah, just make some make some stuff. Find whoever is going to buy it and. You know, give an honest story about your accounting, and as you said, they make good stuff, and they've got a brand, and there's there's value here. They've just got to run what they do have better, not keep chasing things like my fitness app or whatever it is, share buybacks, overly expensive uh, you know deals with colleges that they don't follow through on, um, the the deals with some of the athletes that they then sort of restructure the payments with because it, you know they are running out of cash but spending the cash on their shares and you know what is this thing really? We're going to leave it with that question. Bill Barker, always good talking to you. Thanks for being here. Thank you. If paying for college is anywhere in your future, you might have some questions about how to, you know, actually pay for it. Allison Southwick and Robert Brokamp caught up with Megan Brinsfield from Motley Fool Wealth Management to talk about some tips on paying for tuition. Biggest purchases a family may ever make is a college education. According to the College Board, the average annual total cost, including tuition, room, and board, of attending college full time during the 2022-23 academic year ranged from $28,000 to $58,000, depending on whether the school was public, private, in-state, or out. Throw in some inflation and multiply those figures by four years, and you're looking at a total cost of $100,000 to $200,000 or more for a bachelor's degree. So, here to help us discuss how families can plan for such a big expense is Megan Brinsfield, Director of Financial Planning at Motley Fool Wealth Management. Welcome back, Megan. Why, thank you. And as always, I have brought along with me my disclaimers, and I will proceed with their procession now. So, 
I just want to remind everyone that everything stated here today represents my own thoughts, not necessarily those of Motley Fool Wealth Management or its affiliates. All information is for informational purposes only and should not be considered investment advice or recommendations. Any examples are for illustrative purposes only and not investment advice. Each individual has unique investment needs and should do their own research or consult with a wealth advisor prior to making any financial decisions. Investing involves risk, including loss of initial investment. Motley Fool Wealth Management, a sister company of The Motley Fool, operates independently from The Motley Fool. All right. So if our listeners are still with us, first up, we have Midge Spidgerson. She's 57 years old and a DIY investor looking to retire in the next few years after 35 years of a career. She has three kids, including a set of twins. Ideally, when the twins are through with college, she can take a lower paying job and still maintain her lifestyle. So Megan, what's your guidance for Midge Smidgerson? Well, I think Midge has really gotten through the hardest part of putting three kids through college, which has a pretty heavy budget burden. So in kind of the looking at tailing off those expenses, Midge can really refocus on her own retirement needs and maybe supercharge that retirement because often, um, kids graduating from college is occurring at peak earning years for most individuals. So it's really an opportunity to shift focus. I'll highlight a couple of things that some folks may not be aware of. First of all, you used to get a break on your financial aid when you had multiple people going to college at the same time, but that is going to change starting next year, which will be a a, a tough tough thing for people like Midge. Um, But I can also tell you that by experience, when your kids leave home, your household expenses drop significantly. So that does not necessarily offset the cost of going to college, but it it somewhat does. So even though your kids are, are going in college and you have to pay the tuition and room and board and everything, you'll see things like your know, grocery budget drop. Or if you're paying a lot for some sports events or things like that, those expenses will go away, which will be helpful. All right. Our next scenario is brought to us from Mr. Shaquille Oatmeal. <laughs> Why that cracks me up still. I saw it on the internet. I can't, I can't take credit for Mr. Shaquille Oatmeal. All right. Mr. Shaquille Oatmeal is counting on his children to get many scholarships for college. He's 56 years old with a kid ready to go to college in the fall, and he saved up 70000 in fully vested 529 accounts. However, Mr. Oatmeal's advisor told him to keep two years of college cost in safer investments. But then his son was awarded a $4,000 a year scholarship, and maybe even more scholarships are on the way. So, how should Mr. Shaquille Oatmeal consider these new windfalls? Well, I think that certainly impacts the underlying investment allocation of these college savings. We always want to focus on keeping near-term needs safe. So anywhere from one up to three years of those anticipated college costs being kept in safer investments like money market or short-term bond type uh, vehicles. So I think the advisor in this case was really um, pointing them in the right direction, but the target amount of that uh, adjustment would probably need to change to account for those scholarships because that's going to have a direct offset to the near-term need and allow some of that money to grow more long-term. One of the great things about the 529 plans is that if your student does get a scholarship, 
whatever that scholarship amount becomes eligible to distribute without any penalty. So normally those 529 funds have to be used for qualified education expenses in order to get that tax break. Uh, but the scholarship does kind of give you a wiggle room in that. Yeah, so it bypasses the the penalty. You still have to pay taxes. But the other great thing about the 529 is any money that you don't need or the student doesn't need can be transferred to qualifying relatives. So other siblings, cousins, aunts and uncles, even to yourself if you plan to go back to school. Um, and there's no limit on when the money can be withdrawn. So you can, if you have money in a 529 that your kids don't need, you could transfer it to yourself, let it grow through the years, and then use it eventually for your grandchildren, assuming you are blessed to have those folks. And by the time you have grandkids, that account could be pretty big. Yeah, I think the other final thing we might want to note is just in recent years, the um, permitted uses of 529 funds have really expanded. Uh, most most recently with um, some rules about actually transitioning those funds, any unused funds in a 529 to Roth IRA savings. That is kind of hot off the presses kind of stuff. Um, but prior to that, but still pretty recent, is the ability to use 529 plans for student loans, to pay down your student loans or even pay for private tuition costs of primary school. So the use of 529 funds is getting more and more flexible and uh, potentially more advantageous to actually build up an excess in those accounts. All right, and our final scenario is about one Adele Dazeem. She's 64 years old, looking to retire in two to three years. However, her son has other plans because he wants to do summer school and stay for a fifth year of college to graduate with a master's. So, how does that change things for our dear Adele Dazeem, who is just about to retire? Well, I think one thing that Adele needs to consider is does he or she actually want to support the entire cost of that ex extended school experience um, for their son? And sometimes uh, parents are very committed in um, supporting education goals, and so they're willing to make adjustments. Um, and I know in this a hypothetical case, uh, the client was considering, well, maybe I stay in my house a little longer. Maybe I work an extra year or two to help support this endeavor and really see their son through um, that master's program. But master's degrees do tend to be more expensive than undergraduate degrees on a per year basis. And so that can be a very significant expense and could potentially delay someone's retirement if they were committed to uh, that financial outflow. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's a classic financial planning principle, and that is you have to take care of your own retirement before you worry about your kids' college because your kids can always get financial aid, but there's no financial aid for retirement. So I think springing for an undergraduate degree is awfully helpful already. Springing for the graduate degree, if it will imperil your retirement plans, might be something that you would re you would reconsider. Bro gives you permission to say no. <laughs> That's right, exactly. Bro, do you have any final parting advice, uh, perhaps where people can go to learn more if they're trying to save up for college? 
Yeah, I'll just give some parting advice. First of all, the best place on the internet to get information about saving for college is savingforcollege.com. Lots of good information about 529s, both the savings plan and the prepaid plan, as well as the Coverdell education savings account, which I think is an underappreciated college savings account. Um, and they also rate 529 plans. Each state has their own plan, but you don't have to stick with your state's plan. There might be a better plan for you. And if you're looking for a good book, I recommend Ron Lieber's book. Ron Lieber is a columnist for the New York Times. And he wrote a good book called The Price You Pay for College. Megan, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.